Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, help others heal and heal the world, Mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. This is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. I've been trying to figure it out today by constructing a gigantic model made of toothpicks and chewing gum anyway marty came into the room and she sneezed and when the whole thing fell down she seemed to have figured it out it was really weird yeah it's kind of like in the ancient world when people would read the entrails of animals Mm -hmm. for me those little toothpicks with the chewing gum are basically what my insides are made of (laughs) so i have i have a kind of resonance with them and when i see them in a pile it's also kind of like Dustin Hoffman in Rain Man. He looks at the toothpicks. He knows how many there are. Uh-huh. I look at it. I know everything that ever, ever was. I mean, it was a scale, like 3D map of the universe, I suppose. So it does make sense. Yeah. You were running a little short on the gum. But <laughs> other than that, well done. Yeah. It's totally figured out now. <laughs> I figured it out. Lock me back in my room now. <laughs> So what are you trying to figure out, Rowie? You know, Marty, I am trying to figure out money. This, this Oh, that shouldn't be hard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought. This business of personal finance. I have bought the book, Personal Finance for Dummies. Ah. That's how serious I am about this. Ooh, that's serious. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I recently realized that it might be more complex than I thought when 
I announced to you and our beloved Karen with great triumph. <laughs> I was like, I figured it out. Spending and saving are the same thing. <laughs> you did say And that. I said it in all seriousness. Yeah. You were like, okay. You were, you were going to move on to another point. You're like, yeah. okay. So spending and saving are the same thing. So, and we were like, what? <laughs> did you take her money away from her? <laughs> <laughs> Should not be entrusted with money. Yeah, it is weird though. I mean, you you grow up and there are all these things they teach you in school that you'll never need, and nobody teaches you a doggone thing about the weird things you have to do to have money as a grown up in the world and to work with it. Mm. And the, who who learns who taught you that stuff? Well. Finance for dummies is what taught you <laughs> personal, that. Personal finance for dummies is teaching me. Did it start out by saying, okay, first spending <laughs> and saving are the same thing. Now give us all your money is the same as saving it. <laughs> the first thing you need to understand, you <laughs> dummy, is that spending and saving are not the same thing. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I read that and it got better. Look. Let's leave this topic, Marty. What on earth are you trying to figure okay. out? I am trying to figure out, quite literally, why a small dinosaur settled in my lap. Huh. Under very trying circumstances. I think you'd better say more. Yeah, well, you know that birds are directly descended from dinosaurs, right? Heard that. Yeah, and, and dinosaurs, some of them even had feathers. I've and the pterodactyls that fly around picking people off in Jurassic Park 3 were actually only a foot wide. They only had like a two-foot wingspan. You don't know how big those people were. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Chris Pratt people. is only an inch and a half tall. <laughs> um, no, well, it was you. You you brought the dinosaur into the house. I did. It was, remember, we got up. It was zero degrees. No, it was like six degrees Fahrenheit, mm -hmm. which is... Pretty much the same as absolute zero, at which all life ceases and all molecular molecular motion is gone. Mm. But sitting out in our backyard with its head tucked under its wing was a tiny dinosaur. Yeah, a tiny blue one. Yes, a blue jay. And he was all puffed up like a snowball with his head. On, so he looked decapitated. Yeah, he like he wasn't just, it's not like you think, oh, they just tuck their head under their wing a little bit. No, there was no head. There were two wings and there was no head because the puffy feathers meant that it was like the bird was just round. And and when a bird has no head and is round, mm -hmm. that is a cold bird. Yeah, or, so, you know, as I suspected, potentially a dead bird. <laughs> that's right. When but a it was bird has no upright. head and is any shape. <laughs> death is always a possibility i hate to be too for real cockroaches they can live for weeks without their heads yeah. i'm not rescuing a cockroach yeah but you did rescue the bird because i, I told you i said rescue that bird <laughs> <laughs> and i said it's good to put a towel over them so we went out with a towel and a box and i said to you put a towel over it bro because i wasn't going to come close to it i'll tell you that much marty helpfully stood nearby <laughs> I held the box for a while. Making instructions and demands. But put the towel on it, Ro. Now put it in the box, Ro. And she did. And she closed the box and she took it in the house. You should see what happens around here when we get a stink bug. Oh, God. Yeah. Ro is my hero. She, de <laughs> she deals with the wildlife situations. Anyway, she gave it some water and cooked it a bowl of oatmeal, which I thought was 
odd. I I cooked it a very small little thimble full of oatmeal. I was thinking it's probably one of those things where they eat the oatmeal and they're they're supposed to be carnivores and then it explodes in their stomachs or something. I will never forget what Rufus Wainwright said in this documentary about Leonard Cohen. Brilliant Mm -hmm. thing called I'm Your Man. Did he say that Leonard Cohen could live for weeks without his head? (laughs) He told this story. He knew... Um, Leonard Cohen's son and came over there after school one day I guess they were in high school and it was the first time he'd met him and he was standing in his underwear with a rescued baby bird and trying to feed it oatmeal and he was and and so Rufus and his friend came in and I guess they got snacks and stuff and there was a lot of conversation about the bird and what they were going to do with it and then a little bit later Leonard Cohen goes out and they're still hanging out with the bird and then he comes in, back in, and he's like full fedora, full suit, and it gave him a fright. The he bird? was like, no, the bird was fine. Sorry, this is Rufus. Oh. Rufus felt um, scared because he had, when the man was just in underwear with the baby bird, he was no threat. But then he came in all snazzy. And suddenly the, this young man was intimidated by Leonard Cohen because it was like, Leonard Cohen! I myself... Uh would be more intimidated like if we went into our kitchen and a celebrity a famous celebrity were in there in his underwear (laughs) with a wild bird trying to spoon oatmeal down its beak i would be more worried in that situation than if he were fully attired with a fedora all right let's just think for a minute about which celebrities (laughs) would be more or less intimidating in their Uh, underwear mick jagger Mick Jagger, not into, not at all intimidating. It would feel very normal to me. In a fedora? No, no, in his underwear. Okay, all right. Wait, yeah, underwear or fedora? Adele. Oh, no, again, that just feels very normal to me. You're really used to people in their underwear, aren't you? I feel I feel comfortable with it, yeah. I mean, I don't think we just all get around in our underwear enough. Hmm. I mean, it's very cold right now, so it's sort of like... Yes, it is cold, which takes me back to my story of the bird. All right. Okay, so we called the wildlife rescue people, and they said, bring it in. And I was like, okay, but then Ro had to leave. So I got in the car, and Karen put the bird in its box next to me on the passenger seat because I was not going to get near that box. So she belted it in, and, uh, you know, it it was quiet in there, this sad, tired bird. So I started driving and immediately from the box came the sounds of a bird trying to get out. And I was alarmed. I'm telling you, it might as well have been Leonard Cohen in his underwear in there. I bet. Scrabbling. Yeah. God. Yeah. Horrifying, right? It was the stuff of horror movies. But I, I told myself, okay, no, no, no. I'll be fine. It can't get out. I'm just going to drive very gently. I'll turn gently, accelerate <laughs> gently. Everything is gentle. It can't get out. It can't get out. So I'm driving, and every time I accelerate or every time I turn, and I say, it can't get out, it can't get out. But it does occur to me that it is directly descended from dinosaurs. Mm. I've got a dinosaur in a box, and it's making really scary no- noises like the velociraptors in Jurassic Park who could open doors. <laughs> Um, so also it occurs to me that those turnings and accelerations and breakings and things like that might've been a bit erratic because you can be a little bit like impulsive. Not this time, baby. 
I was driving like silky smooth driving, <laughs> except for inside my mind. And and yeah, so there was so there's a Velociraptor in a box. It can open doors. Yeah. Well, why didn't you think it could open a goddamn box? Well, it it I it was small. It was small. <laughs> so I'm Chris driving. Pratt was only an inch and a half feet tall, and he was standing in my kitchen in his underwear <laughs> with a bait. Oh God, with a blue. Chris shape. Pratt in his underwear, but a fedora on top. How do you feel? really really intimidated <laughs> there we go okay so i'm driving along i get to the freeway freeway mind you uh-huh. and i gently accelerate to 60 miles an hour into traffic i'm merging in traffic but everything's smooth everything's fine <laughs> it can't get out it can't get out it can't get out oh my god it got out <gasps> yes i turned to my right i did not even see how it happened there was a box with a blue jay standing on it next to me and I was like, and I just. So said, he was like perched on top of the box. He just stood now. on top of the box. Wow. And I was going 60 miles an hour in heavy traffic. And I thought the pecking and the flapping was about to commence. Oh, yeah. I thought he was going to come straight for my eyes. I bet you were starting to wish he did have no head. Yeah. Yeah. Plus he had on a fedora. <laughs> anyway, um, I was like, okay. I said out loud. Uh-huh. And I thought this was very creative. Oh, no, 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 no. And I can so picture you doing no, that. No, 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 no. But I'm thinking, okay, I've got to keep driving straight. Even if he's pecking my eyes out, I must save lives. I must save lives by focusing on the driving. No, 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 no. <laughs> so then I find a place, a shoulder to pull off on. I stop the car very gently because now he's precariously balanced on a freaking box. Wait, I have to just ask you something. What? So if a bird is in a car. Yeah. And the car is driving. Yeah. And the bird was able to hover inside the car. Inside the car. Is it moving with the car? I think oh, it's it slammed to the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is part of um, part of an illustration of an exercise to explain um, no. special relativity. Special relativity. Yeah. No, he can't hover. That would take a hummingbird. What are you crazy? But if a humming, all right, don't worry. Don't worry. No, no, no. That, yeah. It's a whole different issue. We may have to Sorry, cut this I whole apologize. thing because, yeah. Okay. So I'm there. Got my, my emergency flashes on. Parking brake is on. I'm sitting there. The bird is perched on his box. I'm going, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I've been around wild animals a lot and horses and things. And you just have to get really calm. So I did the thing that we'd learned to do with horses and I got really calm because I didn't know what I was going to do. I had to make a plan. I was going to try to get the towel out and then put it over him. But he was standing on the box and the towel was in the box. So Hmm. I I was completely flummoxed. Hmm. And as I sat there pondering what to do, the velociraptor, tiny velociraptor, walked off his box and across the seat and into my lap. And there he did sit down. He loves you. He did. And I loved him. And I thought, I want this bird to keep. I want this bird to marry. Hey. Sorry. And so I I don't know why he did it. And he didn't even, I picked him up really gently. He didn't kick. He didn't squawk. I put him in the box really gently. I wrapped him in his towel really gently. I put the box 
together really gently and then i freaking put my purse on it really hard and then i really hard. not hard like enough push. to smoosh him and then i drove to the wildlife rescue thing and they took him and i could hear him scrabbling inside and they were yelling oh my god he's so feisty and i was like no he loves me that dinosaur and i don't know why and i've been wondering about it ever since let me ask you this mm. after he crawled into your lap and gave you a cuddle mm. And then you put him back in the box mm-hmm. and you put your purse on the top very hard. Yes. After that, while you were still driving, did he scrabble? No. So maybe he was just trying to say, okay, so I might be a bird, but in in my world, it's polite to say hi to someone before you put them in a box and drive them across state lines. Rowie, I think you have figured it out. That's it. It's just a simple lesson on manners. It's dinosaur etiquette. Thank you for helping me figure that out. I feel so much better. You're very welcome. We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a little favour to ask. Would you consider giving us a little rate and review love on your favourite podcast player? It helps people find the podcast. It builds this beautiful community. Most of all, it helps us in our quest to bewilder the world. Thank you so much. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. First up on the Be Wild Files today, Marty, we have Karen who is going through a lot of change. Oh, Hi there. I am calling because I have the great gift of starting my life over at 36 years old. I know they recommend change in small increments, but that's just not my situation. Uh, I quit my marriage. I quit my corporate job. And now I'm in a position where I need money ASAP. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on following the way of integrity and also figuring out how to live life and monetize it. Uh, How do you combine money and integrity when you're in a hurry? Okay. Thanks. Bye. Ever been here, Ro, to that place where Karin is? Never, never, never. Like the time you didn't have it, you had $3 left for a hotel room in India and it nearly (laughs) killed you? (laughs) I I wasn't so keen on integrity back in those days. (laughs) So it worked out okay. Yeah. She ended up like smashing a bug on a light bulb or something and it was... It was a nightmare night. Okay, anyway, we've both been in a situation where we didn't have money and we needed it ASAP. And here's the thing. It did not show up. (laughs) I don't want to discourage you, Karen. But after my long years of thinking about this, I realized that when I'm in a hurry, the anxiety about the money is the thing I put first in my attention. And that is kind of the opposite of an abundance mentality that seems to allow things in more. Oh, I'm sounding very new age here. What am I trying to say, Ro? Congratulations, Karen, on starting your life over 
and quitting all the things. Nice, clean sweep. I love it. I am not very good at moderation myself, so I really feel you. And um, I'm really, I love that even though it's an extreme situation, your focus is living life and walking the way of integrity as well as finding money, which let's face it, is a real <laughs> a real thing. Spending and saving are the, are the same, same thing. thing. <laughs> I don't know how much harder I can stress this, people. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I how to combine money and integrity when you're in a hurry. And Marty's like, yeah, but when you have hurry, hurry energy, it's hard to um, make money out of that. I get it. Can I, can I sort of, maybe this is the splitting hairs, but I actually don't think so. I think this is a place where the culture makes a big hair out of something that should be split. So the, the split hair Wait, is like a big hair, one big hair, like H-A-I-R. Big hair, like 80s yeah. Like I'm hair. about to split hairs. Right. I'm going to do a very I'm going to cut into the definition of something that seems very tiny because uh -huh. of our cultural bias. Uh -huh. But actually, it's a big fat hair that needs to be split <laughs> because if you don't split it, you it's don't like get the afro. money. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Gordian knot of hair. We're really not. We're really not on the same page with this metaphor, but that's all right. You just keep going. Here's here's my point. The way I, I assume you've read my book, The Way of Integrity, and, and how I'm defining it is being your whole self and being in nature, your wild whole nature. Mm -hmm. So we always go back to what would an animal be feeling at this moment? And the thing about needing money fast is it creates an anxiety that's in the imagination. You imagine what will happen, you know, when your taxes come due, when your rent comes due, which you have to do. Don't get me wrong. But here's where I'm splitting the hair. When you go from that state of anxiety, it can't be the same as your integrity because your integrity is always calm, is always in the present moment, and is never imagining difficult things happening. So when I, when I quit my job and my everything, home, everything, um, I thought, I've done, the, I've done the work that they say to do, jump in the net appears. And I remember driving around with my three kids going, Where's the net? Where's the net? Where's the net? I remember driving off a cliff into the <laughs> Grand Canyon, Thelma and Louise style. Oh, that's a spoiler. Hadn't been for the kids, I probably might have done that. No, but I was like, nothing happened for like 18 months and we were living on debt. This is not something I advise you to do. And then I was in a bookstore. Somebody had given me um, a coupon for a book for my birthday. And my plan was, because I had no money, I was going to go spend the coupon on a book. It was $15. Read the book that night, then take it back and exchange <gasps> it for a different book. Read that the next night and just keep going. Yeah. Well, the way of integrity herself. Yeah. Okay. It's all out there now. <laughs> this is my big coming out as a Martha serial. Beck admits to a life of crime. Serial coupon use. <laughs> so anyway, I went in and the book that literally jumped out at me, visually that is, it's not like a poltergeist threw it at me. It literally visually jumped out at yeah, you. Yeah, that's, see, there's another problem with my integrity. The book did not literally, <laughs> but it jumped out literarily. Oh, there you it go. It was just a slip of the tongue. I love this. Yeah, it threw itself at me literarily can we make that a new thing that we do on this podcast we yes. want to say literally but it's not true we just that say literarily is, that is literarily true <laughs> <laughs> 
And it was it was Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. And I opened to a different a certain page and my eye fell upon the phrase, God has lots of money. And it was kind of like getting hit with a hammer in the face. I was like, why have I been so worried if I believe that there's any kind of higher power? It has all the money. Like, it's going to figure out what to do with the money. And I felt this incredible calm come over me and I lost my fear of the future. And I thought, I'm going to make money and everything will be okay. And I went to my then husband. I said, you can stop worrying about money. And he's like, did you, did you hit a bank like I told you to? <laughs> no, he didn't say that. Don't sue me. Um, he said, why did you sell a book? And I was like, <laughs> as if. I stole I one. Stole, well, I sort of library, I literarily stole a book. And <laughs> I, now I know that, you know, my pal, the divine, has all the money. So I'm sure it's going to get it to me one way or another. And it did. It actually did 14 months later. But from that moment, I stopped being afraid because every time I went into, okay, I've got to have it now. It would like, it was like a fish slipping through my fingers. And when I would relax and say, I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep applying for jobs. I'm going to keep, I did get little part-time gigs here and there. And it was like the fish would come lie down in my hand. So I have a slightly different take because I think one of the things that is really interesting for where Karen is versus where you were is that we're now in the kind of economy, I want to say, and I mean that in the largest sense, where applying for jobs is like only about 50% likely to be Karen's path. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, and so I never now, got a job either. Not a job job that I kept. What about literarily? Literarily, I, I got some part-time gigs that could barely cover, you know, interest on our credit card loans. Literarily, you did publish a lot of best-selling books. Literarily. No, literally, that was after. That was after. All right. So I have a slightly different take on it, Marty, though I do agree with you that the that the calm is is the way. I feel like part of the thing is that what's different for Karen now than it was for you then is that we're living in this kind of creativity economy to mm. a certain extent. You know, there's a lot of privilege in that statement, but a lot of us do have the option to be more creative about how we make money right. in the world. And so the idea of just applying for jobs and hoping mm. that the money, you know, comes from that um, may not be Karen's reality you know yeah. and or or the the scope of her options and so what i'm thinking is that if that i that yeah we want calm we all want to find calm but for me the reason for that is that that's where your creativity is right and and to access that creativity is to uh, oh, attract oh dear oh there it oh, came out oh it's the new age um is to make it easier for money to come which is also a very new age thing. Thank you. And that is very, that is very apropos. And I actually never got a job that I kept. I did a little, few little part-time jobs that barely covered the interest on our credit card loans. But you're absolutely right. In the calmness, I could begin to write things that eventually did become best-selling books. And it reminds me, and this is not the last time this has happened to me where I've thought I need money now in a hurry. It was the mm -hmm. worst time by far. But um, there were a number of downturns in the economy and stuff. And actually, right after 
we met each other. That happened. We were like, oh gosh, we need to get a certain amount of money in order to keep things we value. What will we do? And we had like a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we thought, well, what do we love to do? Uh, we both love to write. There are people out there that love to write the way we love to write in a sort of soulful way. Let's throw a writing program and put it online. Yes, we did. And it was just the two of us. No, it wasn't. We had a very supportive team At first. <laughs> it was the two of us at first going, could this happen? And then we, we made the whole curriculum. And then, yes, we did I just have, have to. I just have to tell the peeps why I'm laughing because there's like this, this story that we tell um, of – Oh, how Martha and I just made this program and Marty likes to tell it in front of our team who sit there going, Oh, you did, did you? Just the two of you, eh? Oh, that's I'm well making... done. <laughs> Must have been hard not having any support. Okay, but I I've done it in the past without as much of a team. You know what I just made though was the Walden pond mistake oh yes you did explain. yeah when when i started off to college they ma made all the incoming freshmen read walden by walden by <laughs> henry david thoreau about how henry david thoreau went and lived in a cabin by walden pond and he just lived off the land and wrote poetry and was the a whole man and there were no problems and then i found out some 20 years later reading feminist theory that the reason he was so chill out there on the pond was that his mother and sisters brought him food and clean laundry and took away his dirty clothes and cleaned his damn little cabin for him every single day. He was the natural man awakening to freshly pressed slacks <laughs> right? And boat shoes. The deer in the field, the fox at my door, the women cleaning. It's all part of the grand scheme of nature. <laughs> So I made the Walden mistake, and I can hardly mm. believe that I did. Mm. Oh, my God. Okay. I, I am so entitled. But here's, here's the point. Yeah. And you made it, and I just want to sum it up. Okay. Because this is the truth. The value that you have to give the world, which is what you trade for whatever you need to live, mm. is in what you create. It's not in a pile of money. They've actually done studies of people who win the lottery and so on, mm. and they tend to end up right back at their level of poverty from before because for various reasons people swim around and try to grab it and all kinds of things happen but if somebody is creative with their possessions with their lives and if you're in integrity that's you're right you're touching the creative force and but that's that's so cool because that's the integrity piece and what it makes me think of is the word value you yeah. know because it's just like um how do I say this idea? Like you create value from your creativity, from your calm, which is the value that only you can create. Right. And from that, it's almost like a law of physics. Oh, I sound so the secret. But that, it's true. That the value that value will just cut, rise to meet it. Yeah. Right? Just and I, I, I have I, to I say wanted to say this earlier that um when you were talking about Julia Cameron, this cool. <laughs> Because we're just going deeper and deeper into the new age. I have a de facto for a line for you. Oh, goodness. Um, which I used to listen to this this tape, this de facto for tape on my um, on the tram on my way into work every day. And uh, and there was this there's this great bit and it's all about manifesting money. And uh, he's talking about how he was once working on a um, like a kind of world peace 
project or something like you do. And uh, he, and there was this whole group of people and his teacher was there. And this, this guy says to the group, well, I mean, this is all very well, but where's the money going to come from? And the and DFAC's teacher says, that kind of looks confused and says, from wherever it is at the moment. <laughs> and it just, it's so cool. Like, it's just like, I, who understands this? Yeah. You know, who understands this? And honestly, we've said this before, but money is the most woo-woo thing in it the is. whole world. It it's is. It's imaginary. So, it's so weird. Yeah. it's It doesn't exist and it only exists. Except in people's <laughs> minds. So if, if your mind is in a place of, of feeling like it's rushing ahead to try to find this ephemeral thing... You're actually not in reality. So again, when I say people aren't in integrity, it does not mean you're doing anything immoral. It means you've slipped off the, the truth that's most deeply coded into your being. And I think Deepak, I actually really like Deepak Chopra. He's been so nice to me and he is the calmest dude, man. I mean, he's not faking that. He's a very calm dude. I don't know if he was calm before he got all the money. <laughs> I think he probably was. I think he was like, oh, from wherever it is at the moment. And uh, yeah, I think it works. I think yeah. it, value is creativity and value is what gets you through life. Mm. So good luck, Karen. Yeah, you We're got this. You. It's fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. Okay, Marty Moo. Next up we have Jennifer hmm. who is talking about being critical. Ooh, let's hear it. Yeah. So I was listening to your bewildered podcast on creativity and creating instead of being critical. And I would love to know how to do this more at work. I am leading a team of young people at a coffee shop and they are amazing, but they are also young. And I am consistently being way too critical of them based on where they are at in their work experience. So I would love your advice on how to approach each obstacle with creativity. Thank you. Okay, Jen, you are so great to have noticed this in yourself because you will never be one of those horrible bosses. And it's interesting why so many people are horrible bosses. And I think it's because when people are nervous, they're very critical with themselves. And then that just leaks out at other people, even when they don't mean to be that way. I mean, I've done this lately. Like we've been making tremendous amounts of social media content for various different things. And they felt really high stakes to me. So Ro would be the whole technical team and I would be the whole, I would be the talent. And um, we'd do a video or something and I would notice a flaw that I perceived in myself. And then we'd finish taping and then I'd be like, Ro, we've got to fix this, this, this. And it was mean. It came out mean. So you were like taking the critical voice that was in your head, criticizing yourself. Yeah. And you were, and it was leaking out at whoever was around. So you're saying that what Jen might be doing is the same thing. Like if, if because what was interesting about that when we went through it was that you didn't realize you were being that critical Not at of all. yourself. Not at all. You weren't aware of the voice until you heard it coming out at me and then you were like whoa and then you went back and went oh wow that's how I'm talking to myself all the time yeah and that was when and that, that's when I brought in my psychology and thought oh that's an introject uh -huh. it's a critical voice that is part of my head that is so seamlessly like bound into my 
psyche that it feels like just who I am, but I know that can't be my true nature. That's culture. Culture is always, nothing in nature criticizes you for not doing a video well enough. <laughs> not ever. <laughs> so it couldn't be my nature. And I had to go in and find the place where that lived. And it reminded me of when my third child, Lizzie, was a toddler and I had a friend over and the friend was sitting on the floor with her legs outstretched and Lizzie went toddling by and tripped over my friend's foot and my and started to cry. And my friend started hitting her own foot and saying, bad foot, bad oh. foot, you shouldn't have tripped Lizzie. And Lizzie sat there and she slowly took her own foot and started hitting her own foot and saying, bad, bad. And I was like, oh, holy Moses, what have I been teaching these poor children? Wow. But it really showed me we treat others the way we feel inside ourselves. They they feel about themselves the way we feel about ourselves. Yeah. Not the way we feel about them. Them, yeah. Oof. And I did that to you, and for that I am heartily sorry. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. A, we get through it. We get through it. And it was actually such an amazing thing to realize. And you've been very chilled out since then. Yeah. And the curious, we came to this when we discussed it, was there's always fun to be had. If you can find yeah. the fun and find the funny, like, have you ever done something where things went so comically wrong that you finally, it finally became ridiculous? Yeah. I heard this horrible story about this poor woman who was caught in a tidal wave and she was a supermodel. So I was like, how bad could it be? Well, she was swept into this tidal wave and it pulled her out of her hotel room and she, she caught onto a palm tree and managed to climb the palm tree where water was rising. And she got up there and then she got bashed by some refuse going by and it fractured some bones and also knocked her off her tree. But then <laughs> she got swept to another tree. She grabbed the, another palm tree and ants were coming up the trunk of the no. tree trying to get away from the water and they started biting her. So she's dragging her broken body higher up in the palm tree and I swear to God, a snake bit her. Oh my God. I know. And Listen, at the point- I mean- Think about that story told from the perspective of the ants. The ants. Snake. Right. I mean, it was a very stressful day for everyone. And the snake was just like, my mother treated me this way. How can you expect different <laughs> things? But at that moment, that, I'm going to hell because I felt so bad for this poor supermodel. But when the snake bit her, I became, I started laughing like a lunatic. Oh, so it did was just she. too terrible. Like, there's something, and I read this in a book called Deep Survival, that the people who survive horrible situations are the ones who find humor in the, in the catastrophes. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how big a catastrophe at a coffee shop will be. Okay, but I just, I just want to point out that your example of this was how you laughed at the model <laughs> in the tree getting bitten by a snake. There's no evidence that she was laughing. <laughs> you were like, oh, you know when those situations just get worse and worse. I'll tell you about someone I've never met. In my oh, memory. How we laughed. In my memory, when she was on this talk show talking about it, people did start to laugh at that point and she started to laugh. But that may just be me, like through my hysterical lens of, um, <laughs> take, of schadenfreude. I'd like to think she laughed about it later. That's good. She, and in the afterwards, she was they they healed her up, and she was still a supermodel. So, so Jen, I think we've been really clear here. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a coffee shop. You've got a young staff. Bite them on the leg. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let, them, let ants run over their poor broken bodies. You, they'll laugh. They'll thank you for it. No worries. But, no, but you can do something like say, like who can rack up, like have a competition, play a bingo game every time, you know, Fred puts the wrong beans in the grinder or something and, and, and gamify it a little bit. Like when he puts baked beans in the grinder. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. That's why kidney I hate beans. It. Just to go back to my kidney beans theme. I never want another coffee cup of coffee from you ever again in my life. Though. <laughs> okay, so that's the that's the cure. I okay. think Jen should be set. I think she is set. Stop criticizing yourself. Find the fun. Boom. Figured. Okay, so next up we have Shannon who has had COVID. Sorry, mate. Mm. And but it's given her an opportunity to rethink her life, Marty Moo. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's hear it. Hi, Martha and Roe. I recently spent three weeks in bed with COVID and it was a big wake up call that I can really slow down, that my schedule does not need to dictate my life. And as I'm re-emerging into the world, I'd really love some advice on how to do less, because for me, that is how I want to spend 2022 doing less. So if you could offer anything to support that, thanks. Well, this is the classic perennial dilemma that we come to in culture versus nature, because our culture is about, our particular culture is about massive material wealth at any cost and creating continuously things that will bring more money and working like a robot in a factory. Whereas we are actually social primates that in nature would probably just be hanging out most of the time. And it's so interesting that she was sick because when you're sick and your brain is, you know, stressed as well as your body, it can kind of um, slip you out of those those cultural stories enough to just be like, I feel sick, I'm an animal, I'm going to lie down until I feel better but you can't run the program as as rapidly. Hmm, it's a weird mixed metaphor. No, it's absolutely true, yeah. Uh, as you do when you're healthy. Yeah. And so it's kind of an amazing thing that's happened to Shannon getting COVID, sorry. It, it kind of does pull you back to me. I think that's really true because I had, this last year I had foot surgery mm. and it was something where they saw a bone in half and reorient it and then drive a pin through it. It was not pretty. I've had soft tissue surgeries before and I'm like up and at them the next day. And I thought, okay, they said, it's going to be pretty rough for the first six weeks. And I was like, <laughs> you don't know how much pain endurance I have. I woke up from that surgery and it was like, oh no, 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 no. I'm not, and I did not move for two months. I just lay there in bed and occasionally I would sort of get up in a delirium and find my way to the toilet. And then I would fall down almost always. And as I fell. (laughs) Can I just say something? You had this big spiritual enlightenment moment. One of the times you fell, you said to me, I think I've really advanced spiritually. Because when I fell over that thing that that Karen left in my way, I didn't even get mad at her. I, I must have been on a lot of painkillers <laughs> when I said that. I do not believe myself to be spiritually advanced. But I did notice it was so fascinating when I would fall down and I'd be headed for the floor and everything was kind of foggy because of the painkillers. But I'd watch my body turn almost like a cat in the air. So it would, I would always land with that left foot stuck up high in the air. Mm-hmm. Like everything in my body was going to heal that foot. It was mm-hmm. like I had no 
autonomy anymore. That foot was my body's top priority and the culture could just go hang. Oh, that's so interesting. And and so it's in only in these sort of extreme situations that our system demotes the brain from top dog enough mm. to just get get offline from culture for a while. I think right? you're right. I'm not sure exactly what the brain science would be. I'm always having arguments about it with uh, Jill Bolte-Taylor, <laughs> who was one of the best neuroanatomists in the or neuro. Um, yeah, she's a neuroanatomist. And I'm always saying that what, doesn't the hypothalamus do that? And she's like, please read my books. But I think you're right that the, that the no, sort I'm of- sorry. I cannot just let that go by as though it's a completely normal thing to argue about the hypothalamus with a neuroanatomist. <laughs> I can't even say the word. I just, I just want everyone listening to understand that I'm with you on this. I'm with you. I'm not, I don't have arguments about the hypothalamus. It's fine. You're normal. <laughs> well, I I am always wrong. So you're all normal. Jill is very smart. And I'm all alone by myself. But very argumentative with it. Very argumentative. And what I think happens is that the survival levels, when you're in pain or you're sick, mm-hmm. or even like at moments of great grief, or, mm. you know, there's, a, there's something that comes in that says, I don't care what you think culturally. This yeah. is too powerful a moment for me in my physical body and my emotional system. And I think it does shut down the part of the brain that is, you know, the neocortical part that is just all about language and saying what we should do. Yeah. I I felt that before, even when, you know, something really sad happened and then somebody was complaining about silverware in a restaurant or something. Mm -hmm. And the, I remember this right after 9-11. Yeah. And the waiter was just standing there getting berated. And he was like, I watched the towers fall. I don't, I'm not paying attention to you. He yeah. just sort of wandered off. And I was like, you go. So, yeah, I think it is a weird gift to get that message that it's time to slow down no matter what. So do you think there's some way to, that you can uh, simulate <laughs> that? Like, because this would solve our podcast. We'd never need to have another podcast if we could do this. Then we but better not say. Let's not <laughs> figure it out. For God's sake, don't figure it out. But like, okay, so if there was some sort of mechanism, maybe you would just have to believe you had a really sore foot or a, <laughs> saw your own foot in half done to get out of the trap. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think there's a story um, that actually helps me in these times. Um, first of all, there's a saying that I used to give people a lot when I was coaching them. I don't want to be too coachy coachy, but I really think this is something that we should all like put on our bumper stickers or whatever. And it is this, if you don't want to do something and you don't have to do it, don't do it. And I mean, really want to do it and really have to do it. You know, it's funny how many things we go, we allow ourselves to be like hugely inconvenienced around. Yeah in order to avoid the possibility that someone might be slightly judging us just a little bit. Oh, I know. Isn't that weird? Because we forget that all this cultural stuff is optional. I know. And somehow our conditioning has us so freaked out about someone potentially maybe raising one eyebrow in their bathroom alone that we'll we'll bend over backwards and fill our days with crap that we don't want to do. I know. And people sometimes use that. I sometimes get gifts from people who think I'm far more powerful than I am. (laughs) 
<laughs> what are they like steel bars to, <laughs> right. to break or something? Cakes with knives in them. I don't know. That why would they think I'm in prison? I don't know, because I'm so powerful. <laughs> um or maybe <laughs> Maybe I'm just Only like, the powerful go to prison. <laughs> I don't know. Martha Stewart went to prison and probably would have liked a cake with a knife in it. If it was well decorated. It would have been the best cake with a knife in it that had ever been baked and forged. She would forge the knife herself to take it to her friends in prison. Anyway, um, yeah, I... Uh, we have gone off the rails. But people can use this cultural thing. So people will... Give me, like, I once got a gift of, like, six pairs of shoes that were three sizes too small for me wow. in a basket. It's a specific gift. Yeah, it really was. They were strange, I, I think very, like, high fashion shoes, but nothing oh. that I would ever put on my feet. Like, gotcha. I could use them to squish bugs. If I, I don't squish bugs. <laughs> oh. I was going to say I'm too, I'm too um, enlightened, but actually I'm just squeamish. And I have an Australian <laughs> wife who's like, oh, I'll get it. Stand back. Where, <laughs> where did we get to this? Okay. A couple of things. A couple okay. of things. Okay. Yes. That basket of shoes. Then the woman came back and made all these demands on me. And I <laughs> thought I had to do them. I didn't wow. want to do them. I didn't have to do them, but I almost did them huh. because of the six pairs of weird small shoes. Yeah. Maybe I thought she had small children who'd outgrown the shoes and had no shoes. Anyway. <laughs> I still don't know why you would do her things. Right. But let me tell you an incident. We <laughs> <laughs> That is not about the six small pairs of shoes. I was in South Africa and I was watching four lionesses and they were hunting a warthog. And the warthog is just like he's down on his knees eating grass like they do. And his tail up in the air like a little periscope. They don't do that until they run. And then their tails go up like little machines. I'd like to just picture his tail is up while he snorted. Is that okay? Okay. So he's down on his knees. Get a picture of him. They're adorable. They So he's genuflecting, munching on grass. And these four lions are sneaking up on him like demons. He's genuflecting in the church. They're sneaking up like demons. And we watched for like 10 minutes as they took ever such tiny steps and then froze. And he was fine. Didn't see them. They were getting close enough to charge. And then... Um, uh, what are those little antelope that are everywhere? Impala. Yeah. Then an impala saw the lions and went, <laughs> or I can't make the sound they make, but it was something like that. It's their alarm that says, get out of here. There's a predator. And the little piggy's tail did go up. <gasps> and he shot to all four trotters and he rushed off. And the lions who had been stalking him for like an hour, instead of like getting angry at each other or like kicking the grass or what, or roaring, they all just dropped in their tracks and went to sleep. Gonk. No use thinking about it. It's all over. They fell so hard into a sleep. And they say, it, one of my friends in Africa told me, sleep like a lion. Because lions sleep 20 hours a day and they sleep like they mean it. <laughs> and they're the kings of the jungle or the queens of the jungle. So there you go. Be a lioness. I love this. I really love this. So they don't. I guess they were hungry and tired, and once the possibility for solving hungry went away, they went, oh, cool, tired. Yeah, preserve energy at all at all costs. And you see a lot of that in, um, you know, what I've seen of um, tribes that have not been modernized. There's an enormous amount of 
hanging out, laughing, joking, talking, maybe doing each other's hair. Like there's a lot of relaxed downtime because when you have to hunt for food, there's this great book called Affluence Without Abundance that talks about how the Kalahari San people, uh, they were so relaxed because they believed that nature would bring them what they needed when they needed it. And it had been working for them for 100,000 years. And so they had these, pretty good evidence for their, white, for their hypothesis. <laughs> it's a bit of a time. And the, uh, the white farmers came in and started hoarding and storing food. And the, the son thought it was a mental illness. And you know what? I agree. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Because yeah. one bowl of soup when you're hungry will make you happier, but 10 bowls of soup will not make you 10 times happier. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, Shannon, as far as your situation, you've been given the gift of forgetting that that the culture is all important and instead remembering that the culture is completely optional, arbitrary set of laws that you don't need to follow. And yeah, just hang on to that. Don't worry about people being judgy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, rate and review us because we're not worried <laughs> about you judging us. <laughs> rate and review us, but really in a non-judgy way. <laughs> 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 I did not see it always comes back to bite us in the end but that's the fun of it right that's the snake in the tree isn't the it fun though, part it's the snake at the top of the tree and the fire ants coming up from below in the barista locker room that's it ah ah good times so yeah guys um thanks for thanks for sending us your dilemmas and anybody out there who's hearing this and wants to send another dilemma how do they do that rope they can send a you know what we're not going to get into it right now but go to my instagram rowan underscore mangan and and look for instructions how's that fabulous that's great and stay stay wild. wild We hope you're enjoying Bewildered. If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. For more of us, Martha's on Instagram, the Martha Beck. She's on Facebook, the Martha Beck. And she's on Twitter, Martha Beck. Her website is marthabeck.com. And me, I too am on Instagram, Rowan underscore Mangan. I'm on Facebook as Rowan Mangan. And I'm on Twitter as Rowan Mangan. Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way.